Well, good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, this morning. We're going to be preaching out of uh, a text in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. If you want to turn there, if you're using one of the Bibles that's been provided, that's page number 996. So you can make your way there while I tell some stories about Mark. So, so Mark said we went way back, but he didn't go all the way back to when we first met. So Trish and I started dating our freshman year uh, of college down at Bob Jones. It's the year t- spring of 2000, and she told me that her family was coming. They're going to. Her parents were Christian school teachers, and their school was participating in a, a national competition that the college was having. And several buses pulled on campus because it was a, a fairly large school, and. Uh, I first met Mark when he poked his head out a window and said hi, and, and I said hi to him, and we were all nervous. I was more nervous about meeting her parents than I was about meeting Mark, i got to be honest. And uh, didn't really give much of a thought because I was scheduled to meet her parents later on that week. And so when you've got a schedule to meet the parents, it's, it's more nerve-wracking. And, and I was either coming from supper or going to supper. I can't remember which one. Um, we have, there's an art gallery on campus at Bob Jones, and I just was, my mind was not on anything around me, and all of a sudden I found myself lifted up off the ground. And I'm looking over my shoulder, trying to figure out who in the world has picked me up, and I just see this little blonde head. Now, you might not know, but he has blonde hair, or had blonde hair, and I just see this mess of blonde hair of somebody picking me up, and I'm running through all of my friends, who is blonde and shorter than me. And I couldn't figure out who in the world it was until finally he put me down and I turned around and I saw it was him. I'm like, oh, hey, Mark. And uh, apparently this was uh, his um, effort to, to um, I don't know, intimidate me, like put me in my place in the family. I don't know. But um, it was pretty impressive because what did you wrestle when you were in high school? 125. And I wasn't 125 pounds. I was more than 125 pounds. So um, I don't know that it necessarily scared me, but, but that, that was the beginning of our relationship. And I've actually known Amber, his wife and family, much longer than that. We actually went to church growing up. Um, so little church of like 70 people in, in north central Wisconsin. And Mark called Trisha and was telling her about this girl he met at Maranatha, Miss Molly. And we figured her name was Molly, M-O-L-L-Y. And um, then Trisha's mom starts talking about Amber that Mark's dating. We're like, well, what happened to Molly? <laughs> so then we figured out who it was, and it's like, well, we've known them. Well, I've known them for, for longer, and Trisha's actually known Amber for longer than Mark then because she had met, she had met Amber while we were dating. And so um, it's good to have, and in fact, George was one of, my, one of my youth group teachers when I was growing up, so it's good to see George and Barb here as well. So uh, we're, we're excited for the opportunity to be here. Uh, like Mark said, we I pastor church about two hours away, just over the border in Stevenson, Michigan, the great metropolis of Stevenson. You've probably heard of it. Um, there's a, a the largest dairy farm in the UP is in our neighborhood. Uh, they have more cows than we have people in our city. So um, we we are and and I don't know if I picked a good week to be gone or a bad week, but the number of phone calls I got last night and today, um, our song leader is sick. Our Junior church director is sick. Our two other Sunday school teachers are sick. Um, and so I just called like the same two people, and I'm like, hey, <laughs> you need to do everything today. So uh, 
So we might stay just a little bit longer while we, we make sure all the sickness is gone from us. So there, there are certain texts, though, that just seem to go with certain events. And, I mean, we just got done with, with the Christmas season and the Advent, you know, seems to work well with Luke 2, right? That just seems to be the text that, that everyone goes to. There's so much that you can preach from when you look at Luke 2. You can look at all the different people that are involved, people that aren't mentioned in any other aspect of of the Christmas stories. Uh, you have genealogy in Matthew, but, but Mark and John don't really handle Jesus' birth. Um, so, so you have a lot of different individuals mentioned in Luke 2. Um, that there's, there's just so much more detail. So a lot of times you go to Luke 2 around Christmas. Okay, you've got Mother's Day and everybody, every pastor turns his Bible to the Old Testament, to Proverbs 31, right? To, to talk about this this. Proverbs 31 woman. And when, when you, if you've ever been part of, of charges to pastors, Second Timothy tends to be one that people go to because what we're going to see is Paul's charge to Timothy, and this is where we tend to focus, is preach the word. Okay, it's what we see as a primary role of a pastor to, to do. He is to preach the word. And preaching is central to the health of the church and to the growth of believers. It is very necessary that your pastors be faithful to the word. And, and so it is, it is a, a great charge, but, but I feel like oftentimes that charge falls short. Because while, while Paul is addressing Timothy here, the message isn't just for Timothy. And so I'm going to be looking over here and talking to, to Mark some. But I'm also going to be addressing all of you. Because Mark has a charge. All of your pastors have a charge to preach the word. Every one of them is to be faithful to God's word. That is what they are to do. That is, that is a, a, a primary way that we determine whether or not a pastor is being faithful in his ministry. But there's also a warning. One of the reasons why Paul has to tell Timothy to preach the word, to be faithful in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and patience. One of the reasons he has to do that is because our hearts and our ears despise that teaching. And so your pastors have a, a call to be faithful to preaching the word, but you and anyone who's sitting under the preaching of the word has a responsibility to make sure their hearts are in a position to hear the word. Let's read these. We're going to look at primarily the first four verses, but our text is through verse 5 this morning of Second Timothy 4. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead or who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from them, uh, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Well, what, what I've titled the message this morning is the church's charge 
And I've kind of given you the reason why I've, I've described it as the church's charge because it's not just Mark's responsibility or one of your other pastor's responsibility that is, is listed in here. The entire church has a charge in this passage. So we're going to see, first of all, the authority behind the charge. Then we're going to see the content of the charge. And then we're going to end with the enemy of the charge. So let's, let's go to the Lord this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for the state. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what it has already meant to Mark and Amber and their family. I, I pray that, that as the ministry goes on here, that, that Mark's ministry would be faithful, that the ministry within this community, that, that, that the, the city of Rhinelander would see, would see that this church loves you, and that this church loves the community around them, and that many would be reached as a result. And I pray that you would, be, you would bless me as I proclaim your word this morning. May I be faithful to it. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see this morning is the authority behind the charge. And we see this in verse 1. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is, the ju- who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom... So, so we see, first of all, that, that this is a solemn charge that an experienced battle-scarred warrior is giving to a young lieutenant in the faith. If we jump down to verse 6, Paul says, I am already the rain poured out as a drink offering. In the time of my departure has come, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not me also, but all who have loved his appearing. Paul, Paul is giving this charge to Timothy because he's looking at the end of his ministry and he sees that it is very near to him. He, he, he knows that, that I need to be handing this ministry off because my time on earth is short. Paul has endured so much. If you read through the, the, the New Testament epistles, you see in the, in the book of Acts, you see that the number of times he's been shipwrecked, the number of times he was imprisoned, he was beaten for the faith, he was stoned and left for dead. Paul has suffered much. He has fought the good fight. And now he's looking at this young man who is coming, and he is charging him to keep the faith, to preach the word, now, now, this has to be a, a nerve-wracking thing for Timothy or for Paul. For, for though he has, he has is, is the father of Timothy in the faith, though he has encouraged him and educated him and, and discipled him, Paul's ministry is also full of those people that he's done those same things with and they've turned away. I mean, he, or earlier on in the, in the book of 2 Timothy, he references two men who have turned away from the faith. So Paul is, is handing over this ministry to Timothy and he says, I'm confident that I'm going to see, when I see Christ, when he judges me, he is going to judge me as righteous and faithful. Now this wasn't arrogance on Paul's part. He was simply, had looked at his life and, and was convinced that he had done what God had desired for him to do. And he had a great desire that Timothy would do the same thing. Paul grounds his charge to Timothy in four realities. The first two are, are, are the, the, 
the God the Father and Christ Jesus the Son, he mentions. So he says, I charge you. And then he, he brings the, the authority of the charges is under God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. He's calling Timothy into the majestic presence of the Father and reminding him of the role that Christ fills as judge. Now, now this isn't, when we tend to hear judge, we tend to think of somebody who is being convicted of, you know, they're guilty of something. But that's not how, how God is going to judge all of us. Those of us who know him, those of us whose names are found written in the Lamb's book of life, he is going to judge us. And we, the, the judgment that we are going to endure isn't going to be for the sins that we have committed. Because those have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Right? When we stand before God, there's, uh, I remember you know, growing up having this mentality that we're going to stand before God and our whole life is going to be put on a screen in front of us. And while everybody watches, we're going to see, relive all of the horrible decisions that we've made throughout our life. Okay, well that's not going to happen. If you have that mindset, it is not going to happen. Because all of those sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Right, when, when I stand righteously condemned, Bible says that Satan stands, he is accuser of the brethren. When he stands before God, he accuses me. Jesus doesn't say, no, he never did those things. Because I have. Satan doesn't have to make up lies about what I've done. He can righteously accuse me of my sin. But Jesus points at me and says, no, he, he's covered by the blood. He's one of mine. He has my righteousness. So, so when, when Paul talks about being judged here, one of the things he's talking about, yes, there are those, if you don't know Christ, you are going to stand before the Father and you are going to be judged found guilty of your sin and be, be damned to everlasting hell. But if you are in Christ, your works are going to be judged and that is going to be the basis of your reward in heaven. Paul says, I'm confident that when I stand before God, I'm going to be judged and found righteous. And so he's calling Timothy as God the Father is going to judge you as Christ is you know, under the authority of God and under the judgment of Christ be faithful as you preach the word. Because, Mark, at the end of the day, you know how fickle people are. Right? The, the, the number of pastors throughout history, famous pastors like Jonathan Edwards, who were kicked out of their church because they preached the gospel. We, we don't count on, on the judgment of men. There might come a day, Paul warns here to Timothy, there might come a day when people aren't going to want to hear the sound doctrine and you might be expelled from ministry because you have been faithful to the word and that is because you're worried about being faithful to Christ under the authority of God and not being faithful to everybody else in here. He also, so he, he has these four realities of God the Father and Christ the Son, and then he speaks of Christ's return and Christ's kingdom. Christ, who is the judge, he's going to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Christ is going to return. He is going to bring the world to judgment, believers for reward, unbelievers to damnation. And at his coming, he is going to establish his kingdom. We... we desire for sin to be abolished from this world and it is coming someday. We're told throughout scripture that from, from, the, new, from the book of Genesis, then you go 
our church right now is walking through the gospel of John. So it was glorious to see at the beginning of the gospel of John who Christ is at creation. We see throughout the epistles, Paul himself describes Christ's role in creation. He is the creator of all things and by him all things consist. That, that there is going to come a, a point in time when there is going to be no more sin in this world. This old old heaven and earth are going to pass away. A new heaven and earth are going to be brought so the basis of our work as believers is the authority of the Father and the promise of the Son's coming judgment and his kingdom. That is, is the basis of your work you do here. And, and, and we're skipping ahead a little bit, but church, that means that, that if Mark is being faithful to the word, if Mark is, is doing what God has charged him to do, then you need to recognize that faithfulness. There can be a temptation for us to look at what I've always taught, what I've always been taught, what I've always heard. And we hold tradition higher than we hold God's word. We need to make sure that, that as we are listening, or as we are hearing God's word, we're listening to it. As a parent, I've, I've, my dad used to say stuff like this all the time, and I never got it until I had kids. There's a difference between hearing and listening, Right? Yeah, you might, you might have had your ears open. Now, all these parents are like, yeah, and the kids are like. Rrr, rrr, rrr. So apparently my dad wasn't unique in saying this. So, so my kids, like, I know they physically heard me, but then they didn't do what I asked them to do. Right? And, and, and so, so you, you hear God's word. You, you listen then to God's word. You obey God's word. So the authority behind the charge is the authority of God himself, which is why the charge to preach the word trumps everything else that you're going to hear. The content of the message, the content of the charge is found in verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So, so his charge can be summed up in the phrase, preach the word, but, but that command is further clarified by phrases that follow. So, so basically everything else we're going to hear after this is a clarifying phrase as to what it means to preach the word. So the first thing he says, you're to be ready to preach at all times, be ready in season, out of season. The Net Bible reads, be ready whether it's convenient or not. Now, now, this probably carries the idea that, that you are to be willing to preach even when you know you're going to step on toes. Even when it's an uncomfortable thing to do. The most uncomfortable message I ever preached was out of the book of Matthew, or walking through the, or the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus covers divorce and remarriage. What every pastor loves to preach on. Right, because I have divorced members in my constitution, I or in my constitution. We're, we're we're redoing our constitution right now as a church, so pray for us. But that's I've got that on my mind right now. No, we we have we have divorced and remarried people in my congregation, and so on one hand I want to be faithful to what the word says, but on the other hand, I don't want to come across as being harsh and unloving to them. 
And it was interesting because I, there are some pastors when I get stuck on something, when I want to make sure I'm preaching, I'm covering it the right way, there are certain pastors that I go to and I'll, if they have a sermon on that, I'll listen to them. And the, just about everyone that I went to who had preached on that topic said, I don't want to be preaching this message today. And so that's what I said because I, I didn't want to be preaching. It would be lovely to skip over that. There are going to be times in your ministry you are going to have to proclaim a message that is uncomfortable and doesn't feel convenient. You don't have the right to determine what parts of God's word you are going to be faithful to and what parts you're not going to be faithful to. And as a church, you don't have the right to hold Mark to be faithful to certain, not just Mark, any of your pastors. Insist he be faithful here, but we're going to skip over stuff over here because this stuff I don't like. This is uncomfortable. It offends me. This runs contrary to a view that I've always held. Paul is probably commanding Timothy here to proclaim the truth regardless of whether his hearers had a willingness to listen. He then calls him to reprove, which is also translated correct. To correct somebody. No minister of the, minister of the word can shirk this responsibility. It is, it is one of the most difficult things I think as a pastor we have to do. Is I, I think that if as a pastor you like conflict, you're disqualified from ministry. I, I don't think you should enjoy conflict. But as a pastor it's part of our responsibility. And when we see people in sin, we have to go to them. We, we, we have to call them out. I think every believer should, but a, a pastor is to exemplify that. Christian discipline in our modern age is so, so generally lax that the moral status of our churches is, is greatly weakened because we, we, we don't like conflict. We want to live and let live. We want to agree to disagree, which some of that stuff we can do. You know, I grew up in north central Wisconsin, so it is by law I have to be a Packer fan. Like, it's, it's just, in order to get my birth certificate, I had to stamp that right on there, okay? Well, I, I, have spent, I have spent time in ministry in central Illinois. Yeah. Was, that was my mission field. I have spent, I have spent time in seminary in, in the greater Detroit area, in Allen Park, where the Lions have their training facility. Okay, so, so that was something where am I going to let what sports team I root for affect the way I minister with somebody? Of course not. I mean, I was a youth pastor in Illinois, so you want to hear kids get on your case about what sports team you, you cheer for. I think one time in the three years we were there, Green Bay lost to, lost to the Bears, and boy, I didn't hear the end of it. But the other five times that they destroyed them, oh, everybody's crickets. And so I wanted to get on like every time. Like they were like, hey, I noticed you're not posting anything right now. You're not tagging me in any posts here. But I didn't want to let it ruin my ministry that I had with people. So, so some things we can agree to disagree on. Okay, faithfulness to God's word is not one of those things that we can agree to disagree on. So we have to be faithful to God's word. We have to be, the, the idea of reproving people, you take God's word into their life and you correct them is part of preaching the word. So as somebody is standing up here and proclaiming the message of the gospel, I've actually had somebody come to me and confront me and said, you were preaching at me. I had no idea you were struggling with this. You know what you do have in your life is the Holy Spirit. 
And he must have been using that text and poking you with it. Okay, so, so, so don't, don't give your pastors too much credit. That, that they think, hey, he knows exactly what's going on in my life and he's attacking me with this message. He's focusing this message on me. I, I, I don't think that's the case. If a pastor is being faithful to the word, he is preaching the word and the spirit is using that word to correct you. He has also has this call to rebuke. Now, this is closely related to prove, reprove, but it's a stronger connotation, and it carries the idea of censuring somebody. So there might come a time when you have to go to somebody with stronger than just a correction. Maybe you've corrected them, but now they have continued in their sin, and so a rebuke is necessary. Why do you do this? Well, your, your heart behind it is to be, I love you. You've proclaimed Christ in your life. And, and, and my desire is for you to follow him. What you're doing right now is antithetical to following Christ. The book of Hebrews speaks a lot about the Lord's discipline in the lives of believers, and I don't want you to face that discipline. I want you to repent. Once again, rebuking is harder even, I think, than, than reproving but it is necessary. And that's all part of preaching God's word. And then he says to exhort or encourage. So, so, so we're to lift our people up as they go about living out the gospel. It, it can be easy to focus on two or three, two and three, and then, and then ignore four, or, or just do four and ignore two and three. So we can either spend all of our time as pastors getting up in the pulpit and rebuking and correcting. And then we don't do any encouraging. Or we spend all of our time encouraging. Those are the, you know, it seems to be the biggest churches in the United States focused just on the encouraging. You're great. You're fine. Jesus loves you. And they don't do anything about the rebuking or reproving. And a healthy, a healthy minister, a healthy ministry has, has all of those. So it's necessary for encouragement The end of verse 2 gives us the manner and the method that you, you have to do to adopt this in your ministry. First is with patience. Paul loves to use this term, and most often he uses it when he's speaking of the forbearance of God towards us as unbelievers. So we could read it this way, that, that while Paul is calling Timothy to pastor his people with patience, pastor them with the same patience you desire God to show you. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we need God's patience on a daily basis. We don't want God to rebuke and reprove us harshly. We want him to show patience towards us. So we are to be patient towards those to whom we are preaching. And also, so so we're to do with with patience and, and teaching or careful instruction. Because rebuke without instruction leaves... The root cause of the error untouched. So it's necessary for, I mean, when I, I tend to, and since I'm a parent, I tend to always go to parenting analogies. Like with our kids, it, it's a dangerous thing to teach our kids simply to obey. There, there does come a point to where we teach our kids, you need to obey me because I said so. Okay? We have a rule in our house. You're allowed to ask why after you've obeyed. Okay, I, I, want to see, I want to see the heart of obedience before you ask why, because that, that keeps us away from, from the why. 
right? Which is different than why. You can hear a difference in a kid's attitude with it. So the other day, I was, I was pulling garlic bread out of the stove, and my two-year-old or three-year-old daughter came running over to help me, and she goes to reach her hand into the oven. And I didn't say, sweetie, it would be best if you didn't do this. Right? It was a harsh correction. I yelled for her to stop. Don't! And she did. And then she looked at me and started crying because she thought I was mad at her. Then I took the time and said, okay, let me, this is hot. You can't touch this, this is hot. You'll burn yourself. Okay, I, I wanted her to obey, but I wanted her to understand the basis behind the obedience. Like, this is why I'm trying to teach you not to do this thing. Or this is why I want you to do this thing. We, we have to, it's not enough simply to rebuke or correct somebody. We have to deal with the root cause of the issue. Lastly, we have the enemy of the charge in verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth, to wander off into myths. Paul now gives the reason for his charge. He seems to have a twofold concern that only a pastor grounded on the rock solid foundation of the word can endure. The first, I would say, is apathetic listeners. Paul saw that even among professing Christians, there would be an increased appetite for truth rather than error. Because reproof and rebuke hurt. I don't like being told that I'm wrong. I don't like being confronted with the fact that I need to change something about my life. I would rather simply hear, hey, great job. You know, that, that makes me feel good. We're that way in just about everything. Reproof and rebuke hurt. Now, I, I don't think that Paul was looking down, and we, we tend to say this where, where it's like, well, this is happening today. We're seeing this in our culture, that people have itching ears and they're trying to heap to themselves teachers. I think, I think Paul was acknowledging that this was a fact of life for pastors, even then. We, we do tend to do that as the American church. We, we, we see everything as, as coming to fruition in American times. There are three features that, that we seem to see in this apathy. There's an intolerance for sound doctrine. He said they will not endure sound teaching. They have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So you have the amassing of their own teachers. And then there's the insistence on comfortable, thing, on comfortable teachings. They, they, they want to have their ears itched. They, they want to listen to the truth. Instead of listening to the truth, they want to wander off into myths. They have a desire to dabble in novelty these apathetic listeners want to hear new or, or fashionable ideas the number of times I get asked. And, and on one hand, I'm thankful. I, I came, came up with this. You know, I started telling people when I was a youth pastor that the great thing about social media is I get to see where my kids and their parents are in their lives. The bad thing about social media is I get to see where the parents and my kids are in their lives. And, and the number of things that I get sent from people, it's like, hey, this sounds really cool. That I've never heard this before. What do you think of this? 
One of the things that we were taught in seminary is if you came up with a new idea, a new theological idea, it's probably an old heresy. Right, Mark? People, people want their ears teased but not tried with harmless mumbling of pseudo-scholarship. These teachers toy with the minds of their hearers but leave the intellect uninformed or the conscience unchallenged and the will set in a direction opposed to God because it is, it is hard to correct and reprove somebody in teaching and preaching. But, but that is the responsibility of your teacher that, that's when a pastor stands here in the pulpit. When you meet with them in their office, their responsibility is to open the word to you and to faithfully tell you whether it feels good to you or not the truth behind your problem. There are two results of this spiritual wandering that Paul outlines. First, that listeners turn away from hearing the truth of the gospel. Paul had already illustrated this. I referenced these two guys. If you look back in chapter 2, in verses 18 and 19. Well, let's start in verse 16. It says, But avoid irreverent babble, for they will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Which that irreverent babble seems to match up well with the myths that, that these people will have the desire for. Their talk will spread like gangrene, which is why you stay away from it. It's dangerous. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting some in the faith. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So, so Paul understands and he, he says, look, there are those who are going to come up with these ideas that are going to feel good. That, that, that are going to, you know, that they might even be able to grab a verse and say, hey, this verse proves what I'm trying to say. And it can lead people off into falsehood. So these listeners turn away from hearing the truth of the gospel. The listeners would also turn to myths and wander off, which is that this term wander off is, is a strong term. It is used medically to describe wrenching a limb out of joint, something that is not supposed to happen but happens and is immensely painful in its happening. These myths are, are, are religious errors that flood the minds of those who turn from the truth. Now, it can be tempting. I think, I think for the most part, when, when we do tend to wander off into these myths, it is for the very reason that either we haven't had somebody preaching the word to us, or it's because we have not desired to hear the word that is being preached to us. If you as a church want to know, how can I be faithful to this church, how can I faithfully listen to my pastors? You can be faithful to this word. Right? This is what, what I tell our church all the time is, is God has given us prayer so that we can talk to him. And he's given us his word so he can speak to us. Right? This, is, this is how he expresses himself to us, which is why it is necessary for the spiritual leader in your life to, to be grounded in this book and nothing else. I mean, if Mark ever gets up and he's like, I'm going to do a series, have an opportunity to preach a series, 
And I found this really great book at the bookstore. And so I'm going to give you like 12 principles for leadership from this, this guy, you know. Say, hey, Mark, we'd prefer for you to preach the word. Like, like we don't want you, we don't want to hear what this guy says. We want to hear what God's word says, right? Because that's what, that's what he is called to do. That's what every pastor is called to preach the word. Paul presents this charge for Christian ministry, and, and he recognizes the pastor's accountability to God that should provide the incentive to obey and then endure in faithfulness in your ministry. Because like I referenced earlier, Mark, there might be times when, when those around either at this church or if God in his, in his sovereignty calls you somewhere else, that those people don't desire for you to preach the word. You remain faithful to the word. Because these people aren't your authority in the end. Right? God is the one to whom you are going to answer for your faithfulness. But it's not merely a charge for the pastors. So believers here, members of Pine Grove Community Church, you must not. You, you cannot allow indifference and apathy to mute the proclamation of the gospel. I'm not saying you can never ask questions. In fact, I can virtually guarantee you, because I, I know this is, this, is, this is my mindset, if you have a question about something that's being preached, rather than like finding somebody else next to you and say, hey, can you believe he said that? Would you go to the pastor who said it and say, hey, I've got a question about something you said. Can you explain to me what you're thinking? You cannot allow apathy to mute the proclamation of the truth. Now, sometimes that means teaching and preaching is going to be difficult and uncomfortable, and that's both for the pastors and for the hearers. Reproof and rebuke can be uncomfortable, but, but that same reproof and rebuke must be wrapped in loving encouragement. And in doing so, you will be faithfully ministering the word as God has called you to. So then you'll fulfill what verse 5 says. That as you're doing this, you would always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, doing the work of evangelists, fulfilling your ministry. If you're preaching the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church and for the opportunity that you've given the believers here to gather together to encourage one another to use the gifts that you have given them. Thank you for the opportunity you've given Mark to minister here. I pray that you would use his gifts mightily. I pray that, that both he and the other pastors would, would be faithful to the word. They'd be faithful to this charge that Paul gives Timothy. And I, I pray that the church would be faithful in hearing the word, that they would not be apathetic as they hear your word. That the word would... would would carve away the, the gangrene that might be present. And painful though it would be, they would come back healthier. That, that joints that are, are put out of place would be reset. And that through the pre preaching of the word, this church would, would remain healthy and faithful to you. And that a community, and then the state, and then the country, and the world would be reached as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forevermore. Amen.